listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast by Dr. T. Michael W. Halcom, Dr. Frederick J. Long, Dr. Mario Melendez, Dr. Jennifer Noonan, and J. M. Smith. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I'm Michael Halcom, and today I'm here with Dr. Lisa Kutras, who's also Dr. Lisa Terra, I just learned. Yes, I go by a few names. Yeah. All right. So um, Lisa is the sister of Andrew who Andrew Kutras, who also works with Glossa House. And um, I just got put on to this book by her. This is by Palgrave McMillan. And uh, if you don't have a copy and you can, you know, find a good chunk of change, go get yourself one. It's Tolkien's Theology of Beauty. Majesty, Splendor, and Transcendence in Middle-Earth. All right, I don't know a lot about Tolkien. I've seen the movie, the recent one. but um, Wait, which recent one? The one about his life. Oh, like, yes, the autobiography, or the yeah, biography. Exactly, where he joins the military. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, so I know a lot more about Lewis. A lot, so, a lot of people know more about Lewis. Yeah. So anyways, we're all here in this house uh, in San Antonio, a bunch of people, like 10 of us. And uh, Lisa's been helping with the Glow House booth set up today. We're here in San Antonio, Texas for the annual AAR SBL meeting. I put onto this book of hers. And, um, and I was reading uh, one of the chapters, chapter three, Primary Truth, but the subtitle is Mythic Truth here. So I wanted to talk about myth. I was um, wondering if Dr. Kutras could talk to us about myth so yeah lead us off what is myth at least in like Tolkien view well uh, as he would put it myth is the language of truth it is a um, a genre of truth so it is uh, a way of communicating uh, things about reality and we in our modern world think of of myth as a falsehood okay well that's a myth that's not true right but for him it was literary and myth and language were interconnected. Uh, you can't have language without myth. You can't have myth without language. So what he discovered was that as he wrote his languages, he had to have a story for the languages to fit into. Because okay. language grew out of myth. And myth is inherently metaphorical. But at the same time, it is inherently narrative. So you have to have um, you know, certain, um, I, I guess, well, all of language is metaphor. So everything that we say is derivative of something that came before. And so the further back in history you go, the more metaphoric it becomes. And the more metaphoric it becomes, the more mythical it becomes. So when Lewis said to Tolkien that um, the story of Christ was just a myth, Tolkien's response was, well, it's a true myth. Right. Because myth is a way of communicating reality. And so... You know, this was the myth that entered historical narrative. Where along the way did it shift? Like, if Tolkien's thinking this way and Lewis is thinking this way, that myth is true, right? Where along the way did it shift that we began to associate myth with falsehood? That's like the exact opposite. Do you have any ideas? Mm. Well, I don't know for sure, but my idea would be that because the myths of the pagans were so. Um, absurd in some ways, or so um, outside of what we would associate with reality that you know it's it's 
it's not reality. Therefore, if it's not reality, it's not true. So it's just this association with, uh, you know, that things about nature are associated with gods. And, but now we know because of science mm. that those things about nature, that's not Zeus, you know, um, you know, lightning uh, isn't going to be from a god. Right. Um, we know about lightning now because we have science. Therefore, myths are false. But that wasn't the point of the myth. The point of the myth was to communicate something about the reality that we're living in as human beings. So if they're using metaphor to explain the things about nature, we're still, we're still learning something about nature. It is a way of communicating. And the further back in history you go, the more simple it becomes. So, you know, narrative or, or historical narrative, the further back you go, is more simplified and, in a sense, more pure, I think, according to Tolkien. Mm. So, this idea of true myth, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. How do you, if you were going to just talk to like an average evangelical, for example, I mean, I think most of them might squirm at the word myth. And especially if you said, like, Jesus Christ is true myth, I think people would get creepy crawlies maybe hearing yep. something like that. So how could you talk to, like, just the average evangelical, maybe disarm them, help them see that, like, maybe myth is a good thing for understanding the life and story of Jesus Christ? Because what you're saying doesn't sound at all like you're just chalking it all up to a falsehood or, you know, something like that. So how would you disarm? Oh. Well, um, it all comes down to how you define your terms. So if you're saying myth is a falsehood, then it's not going to make any sense to say Christ is through myth. But if you're saying myth is a beautiful way of explaining reality, then you're a little bit closer. So when Lewis said that the story of Jesus is beautiful, but it's a falsehood, it's just a lie read through silver. Mm. Um, well, you know, that's not, that's not what the Christ event was. And what, you know, what Lewis said later was that if he wanted to believe in a myth because of its beauty, he would, he would go to Norse myth because Norse myth is more beautiful than the Christ myth. But the Christ myth is true. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's this, ah. the, the beauty of myth is now incarnate in reality. So what Lewis loved about myth was its beauty. And what Tolkien loved about myth was its beauty. And the Christ event was actual historical narrative. It's actual history, actual event. But it has the same qualities of myth because myth is communicating something about reality, but also the transcendental reality. So we as human beings were reaching out to that which is true, because we could intuit things about nature, things about supernature, and we drew those things from reality and tried to create our own, you know, our own understanding of it. And because we are fallen, because we are sinful, uh, and the, the things that we create are not, um, you know, perfect, that these ideas about reality that are drawn from the transcendent, that are drawn from from the creator. We, you know, we draw these things from the creator, but it comes out imperfectly. Mm. So um, as Lewis wrote in Paralandra, you know, it's, it's the beauty of the transcendent falling on filth and imbecility. So we as human beings are, you know, filthy and, right. uh, or, you know, we, we have a fallen imagination. So we take these beautiful things that we draw from the transcendent and we create these, these um, you know, creations, whether it's myth or something else, 
and these things are fallen. And what Tolkien mm. said, Tolkien and, and his friend Dyson, uh, what they were saying is that this, this has all the qualities of myth, but it is actual historical event. And all these things in the mm, past were just foreshadows of this true thing that was, that was going to come into reality. And that things that we've created since then, all the beauty that might be in our creations actually uh, draws from this historical event. So everything points to the Christ event. All the beauty that we have, all the beauty that we find, the myths we create, um, the things that are beautiful, they all derive from the transcendental nature of this Christ event, this beautiful myth, but it, it has all these qualities of myth, but it's, it's true. It's mm-hmm. history. So you, you talk a lot, um, I mean, it's Tolkien's theology of beauty. And in the chapter, you and even as you're talking, you're saying a lot beauty, mm-hmm. right? So I know this is an angle you've been working from, and we've been talking about it the last couple of days since we met. Um, so talk a little bit more just about beauty. What What is beauty? Is it in the eye of the beholder? Like, what is beauty? Well, um there's subjective beauty, which of course is the aesthetics of just um, you know, what you're referring to as what's in the eye of the beholder. But there's more to it than that. Um, so in a theological aesthetics, there is this concept of all of reality is made up of the good, the true, and the beautiful. The transcendentals. The transcendentals. And generally speaking, we as Christians are very good at talking about goodness and we're very good about talking about truth. But we neglect beauty so often. And mm-hmm. beauty might refer to glory or transcendence. Uh, it deals with the imagination, whereas truth reveal, re, re, um, deals with the cognitive or um, you know, doctrine. And uh, you know, goodness is morality or action. But beauty refers to the imagination. It stirs the soul. It mm-hmm. moves the heart with wonder. And so when we encounter God, when we encounter the divine or the transcendent, it moves our souls. It moves our being. And there's this intersection, uh, so saith Valen Balthazar, of, uh, what is it, Uh, splendor and uh, form. And so form is that material object or that material action, something that is in the creative world. And splendor is the light that bursts forth from that. So when we encounter that light, which is transcendent or eternal, um, or, you know, it's it's the the soul of the person, the the spirit of the creature, the light of creation, when we encounter that, our eternal being is moved because we have a steel aspect of us. And so when we encounter that, we are moved, and that is the experience of beauty. And the higher that goes, the more transcendent it becomes. And so when we encounter God's glory, that is the most moving of all beauty. Okay. And so we would say that Christ is the incarnate beauty because all beauty comes from God. He is the ultimate and absolute beauty. Another thing you talk about in here, you use the phrase fairy story. Mm-hmm. Um, so you say, say a bit about that. What is a fairy story? Well, uh, Tolkien used that term to talk about basically fairy tales, but it's also fantasy, uh, things that are more mystical uh, or mythic. So it's it's something with a happy ending, mm. and and that is um, it, you know it comes back to what he talks about uh, with the new catastrophe. Yeah, uh, you know the happy ending, the good catastrophe, the the thing that um, causes you to catch your breath, and uh, you know it's this this glimpse into the chinks of the universe that moves our souls. And so when we encounter this 
good thing that we never expected. It is to, to it gives us a glimpse of the eternal. Mm. And uh, it's like, uh, you know, something that is whole um, and perfect that is beyond this universe, breaks into this universe and shows us what it was created to be or what it could be. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, the healing of our creation. And, and Lewis calls it a memory of a memory, that we can't exactly put our finger on it, that when we encounter it, it, it moves us, but we, we don't know how to explain it. And so it's, it's because, you know, Tolkien says we are in exile, we're in exile from Eden, mm-hmm. that we remember yeah. Eden, but we can't remember it. So it's this, you know, we, we know where we came from, but we don't know. We can't mm. put our finger on it. And so those who have this conversion experience where they encounter Jesus, like, this is my home. This is what being whole is. This mm. is, you know, um, restoration. And, and so I think that's a lot. A lot of times when people are converted to Christ, that's what they're encountering is the beauty of Christ. Yeah. And they're encountering, you know, something from beyond this world that, is, you know, the, the, the light of the transcendent is breaking through. Is is this this subjective phosphorescence? Is that related? I mean, that's a fun word that you're using there, but no, the phosphorescence, the light breaking through, that's something different. That's I think in reference to um, something that is not going to last. Interesting. Is that is that Lewis? I don't know. It's been a while since I've read this. You have this. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it actually is Lewis. You have this line here for Tolkien: "Myth is the most potent expression of truth." For its method inherently reflects the divine art of God. The eucatastrophe present in successful fairy stories is ultimately derived from the transcendental beauty embodied in the Christ event. So, I don't know, that seems like a good summary, kind of like what you've been saying mm-hmm. so far. So, yeah, he loved he loved fairy story, and fairy story is basically the the myth with the happy ending. Oh, and so he yeah. felt like it captured so much of God's beauty because Christ's event was myth, you know, yeah. it, you know, the true myth. Yeah. And, and so because of that, the genre of myth, he felt most clearly captures that. Well, thanks for, this was like an on the spot interview. We were just sitting around talking and I said, let's record this. And so thanks for hanging out. Thanks for doing this. Um, Tolkien's theology of beauty. And you can get this at the Palgrave Macmillan website or amazon or amazon or email me because i can sell it to you for cheap there you go if you have some deep pockets go to those places if not then uh get in touch how do people get in touch with you uh you can email me lisa.coutras at gmail.com and coutras is spelled c-o-u-t-r-a-s all right excellent thanks for joining absolutely thanks for having me all right well thanks for listening uh share this episode with folks and uh hope get the word out Yeah, we appreciate y'all watching, and uh, we hope that helps. Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glow's House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glowsahouse.com today. Glow's House, language resources for the global community.